Praise God. I'm going to pray one more time just for our lesson tonight. Lord, thank you that we have things to thank you for, God. And we can thank you uh, in the assembly, God, of the believers, God, and give you the glory and the honor. And I know others would have so many. We all have things to be thankful for, Lord. But I thank you for these that testified tonight, Lord. And, God, I thank you for your word. I pray you give us ears to hear and eyes to see you tonight in this house. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to uh, 1 Kings chapter 19. We're studying the life of Elijah. We're going to sort of finish a thought that we started last week and then start a new thought tonight. It's amazing how much you can pull out of just these few chapters. We're spending half a year studying Elijah, and he's really, uh, the content of his life is recorded in the scriptures. It's just a few chapters in the Bible. But this is an important part, <clears throat> excuse me, an important part. So look at 1 Kings chapter 19 and pick up with me reading if you would, in verse 5. We'll read through verse 7. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake baking on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. So we're just going to stop right there. So we've been over this, and we've talked about it last week for sure. And in just the kindness of the Lord, I just want to talk about it a little bit more. The kindness of the Lord, the love of God, we sang about it tonight. The love he has for me, I cannot explain, right, what the Lord's done for me. And so here's Elijah. And we might not think it's the most gross, horrible sin in the world, and it, it wasn't, but it was a sin nonetheless, a failure, I guess you would say, on his part, when after calling down fire from heaven and after praying and the, the rain comes after three and a half years, and on all these things that God was using, the Lord, uh, the Lord, Lord was using Elijah to turn the hearts of the people back to himself. And that's really the whole thought. It was about God. It wasn't about Elijah. But God was using Elijah to be the one to, to, for the people to, to see the error of their way and their idolatry and to turn the nation back to him. So that's the whole thought. And God was using him and he was walking, Elijah was walking wonderfully in the presence of God and in the power of the Lord and the faith of the Lord. But he's tired, we talked about. He was hungry, he was tired, he was worn out, he was spent, he was drained. And maybe he thought it's just going to be national revival now. I've called down fire from heaven. The rains come. Everything's going to be great now. Maybe I don't want to suppose to be uh, supposed to tell you what the man was thinking. But I do know, know he was exhausted. And he, Jezebel that night, after all this has been happening, kind of came to a climax. And then after this great victory, and the 850 prophets of Baal and the groves are killed. And, and the rain comes, and she puts a death threat on him. And you tell Elijah he's going to be dead like those prophets he killed by this time tomorrow. Okay? And so what does he do? He says, I'm, you know, we might have expected him to remain and say, I'm not afraid. I'm in the presence of God. You go tell Jezebel this or whatever we might have expected from him. We said one thing we can tell, he was a man of like passions like we are. And at this moment, he was afraid. And it says he fled for his life when he heard that. Right through that night, you know, I don't think he'd gone to sleep yet. He took off. He took a servant with him to Beersheba. He left the servant there, and he went a day's journey through the desert. And then that's where we picked up reading. And as he slept under a juniper tree, he, he fell up under this shade of a tree, 
and he requested of himself that he might die. And he says, God, just, just let me die. I'm no better than my father's. And he wanted that to be the end. Just, just let this just be the end right here. But God wasn't through with him. And the way that the Lord dealt with him, we said last week, the Lord knows when we need a kick in the pants in the rear end. And the Lord, as his children, he knows when, when we need uh, a meal and some water or, or some soft words. He knows what's needed. And if, if I'm walking in rebellion or something and enjoying my sin, probably a, a, a good meal and a bottle of water is not going to do it. A blessing from the Lord. Maybe I need a kick in the rear end to get my attention to turn me back to the Lord. Whom the Lord loves, he chastens, right? And so, but God dealt very kindly and compassionately with this man. And he didn't rebuke him and he didn't upbraid him. At least at this moment, he knew, he knew his frame that it was but dust. And he had compassion and pity. And he says, I'm going to feed him. I'm going to give him some water. I'm going to strengthen and help him. I'm going to minister to him. And so he sends this angel two times in one little day or night, I guess, um, and gives him food and water. And he, wait, and he falls back asleep after eating and drinking. The angel taps him the second time. You need to eat some more. you got a long journey ahead of you. Okay? And so I just think it's very kind. And we were talking about the love of God. And one of the things uh, about the love of the Lord is how it's, uh, it faints not. It doesn't wear out. It's not like he's, he's had it, you know, like I've had it with you. And I'm going to move on to somebody else. You and I know ourselves how many times we have failed the Lord. And probably knowing your own life and me knowing my own life, the times that we failed the Lord in the exact same thing, the exact same thing over and over. And we think with the Lord, uh, praise God, he's not like us. Praise God, he's not. Uh, he may rebuke us. He may come in with tender words, but he's coming. And his whole idea is to restore us. Don't ever forget that either. He, he's not just teaching us a lesson, although he does teach us lessons. His whole idea in the cross was redemption, right? To bring sinful man back unto himself, reconcile us unto God. And same for his children when we stray into a sin, when we stray into a time of complacency where we've been neglecting prayer or neglecting the Bible or neglecting the worship with the saints or uh, whatever. We've just kind of gotten cold-hearted and drifted. We're still his child. His, his goal, end goal, is still to reconcile us, to bring us back, to, to give us that spiritual food and water and set us on our feet again and get us going. Whatever is necessary to do that, but his love doesn't fail. And I want you to turn with me. Um, we'll probably go back to 1 Kings 19, but turn to 1 Corinthians 13. Does everybody know what that chapter's about? Wonderful chapter. 13 verses, and it's all dealing with the love of God. But for our sakes, let's read chapter 13, 4 through 8. Charity, and that's we know that that word means love. But it's a special love. It's not, it's not a brotherly love or something like that. It, this is the love of God, the agape, unconditional, perfect love that only comes from the Lord. Charity suffers long and is kind. So right at the beginning, until the first thing in description is that charity or love suffers long. So we're talking about the patience of God and the patience of his love towards us. And thank the Lord that he is. Thank the Lord that he's long-suffering. And that's long-suffering in love. 
He's long-suffering towards, and his, his whole attitude is still of love. Suffers long, is kind. Charity envies not. Charity vaunts not itself, is not puffed up, does not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Charity never fails. We'll stop right there. Love never fails. And so uh, our lives are a testimony of it. My life is a testimony that God's love never fails in all of us and his patience towards us and his long suffering, okay? He doesn't be become discouraged. He can be, he can rebuke us sternly, but he's not discouraged. God doesn't get discouraged, okay? And so he watches over us, and we talked about it. Lord, the Lord's eyes were upon his servant every step of that journey. When he's running, he's running through the desert. Now he's just, you stay here, servant. He just himself, you just see him just almost in a panic state, just going. He, he's at the end of his rope. And he passes out basically physically exhausted and in every way. And the Lord's watching over him every step, every step. He knows what he's going to do with him. He, he didn't just think of a plan at that moment. He knows what he's going to do with this servant. And he wants to restore him. And in his love, he did. Amen. And so he, the Lord knew that this man had a need. And he had a need because God had still had something for him to do. He could have just called him home. We talked about it a few weeks ago. Thank God for unanswered prayer sometimes, right? He wanted to die, but God wasn't ready for him to die. And had he died then, he would have missed the fiery chariot that was going to pick him up and all the other things that, that the Lord had for him. But God, God gave him the food. He gave him the water. And he says, arise and eat because the journey is too great for you. That's what the angel said. And does not mean that the Lord was pleased with him. It does not mean that the Lord excused what he did by fleeing. Same for us. The Lord can love us, and he's not, he's not accepting our sin. He's not pleased with our sin. He's not just winking and pretending it didn't happen. He's going to deal with the sin, okay? Because, well, we, we're not, not really there, but I'm going to read ahead a little bit. Back in, in 1 Kings, where he says in, a little later, in verse 9, he comes and he says, there came, and he came there, and the Lord said to him, uh, what doest thou here, Elijah? So he's going to start dealing with the man. He's dealing with, he doesn't overlook it. He deals with him. He gave him food and, and his love, and he gave him water, and he didn't, he didn't cast him away. He wasn't done with Elijah. But the Bible says, in wrath, remember mercy, right? And in his, his anger towards his sin, he remembered mercy. He gave him the meal. Even, and the Lord does that for us, y'all. The Lord is good to us even when he knows that tomorrow or next week or whatever, we may blow it royally. In other words, we, we might stumble in some sin where we vowed that we would never do that again. He knows it, and he's still kind to us today when he knows that tomorrow or maybe five minutes from now we might commit some sin that's you know, all sin is against the Lord it hurts our testimony that brings shame to the Lord and it's just very kind of the Lord he never does he excuse it though never does he say well that's okay he's always going to deal with the sin right never excuses sin he's never lax with sin he's never permissive when it comes to sin people are permissive 
I say it all the time, a, a teacher that the class is so unruly, like all the time. If you do that one more time, you know, you're going to, to detention. You're going to whatever. You're going to have all this homework to do. And the kids do it again. And just because the teachers, it's about time to get off and they don't want to deal with it and they don't want to grade all that extra homework, they just let it slide. But they said, if you do it again, here's going to be the consequences. The, the kids disobeyed again. <clears throat> there were no consequences. And they kind of just got away with it. God never does that. He, there's not one of the smallest sin that you could think of <clears throat> that God lets us just get away with it. It's all, Jesus bore it all on his body on the cross. Every single one. It will be dealt with. But the, the thing is, he deals with us in mercy and kindness. Amen. If, if we'll confess our sins, he's faithful and just. And so there might be somebody here tonight, just as we finish this thought about God's dealing with us in love. There might be somebody here tonight and you failed the Lord. Well, who hasn't? But you might say right now where I am, if you only knew kind of thing, how I failed the Lord. Uh, we need to cast ourselves upon the love of God. We need to cast ourselves upon the mercy of the Lord. Don't turn anywhere else. Don't make a bunch of oaths and promises. Just come back to the Lord. Just come back to him and you're going to receive mercy. The, the God... The Lord says, and I'm just thinking about this scripture in Isaiah, turn to the Lord and he will pardon you abundantly. You know, sinners, oh backsliders, you know, turn to the Lord. What are you going to find when you turn to the Lord? You're going to find abundant mercy and pardon. There might be a rebuke. There, there might well be a, a, a uh, temporal consequence for the sins that we commit. And God's just in doing that. And I'll say it all the time, it's never as much as we deserve. Even the consequences for our sin are never as severe as what our sin could have warranted from the Lord. But turn to the Lord, and you say, well, God could never use me again after this. Well, go to the Lord. Turn to the Lord. You're going to find that he, he, can, uh, he made it again. I preached a sermon years ago about him being the potter and where the clay, and the potter made the vessel, and it was marred in his hands when it was finished. And so he, he made it again. He started over. He didn't say, I'm trashing this one. He took that one that was marred. And you could say our lives are marred with sins and failures and things like that. Broken promises to God or whatever it may be. He took that vessel and he says, I'm going to make it again. And he made it as it was pleasing in his eyes. Amen. When he was finished with it. Come back to the Lord and you're going to find, uh, find that he's got pardon for us and mercy. You know what else he has for us? Think about this, and I'll try to, in a spiritual sense, what did, he, what did he have, the provision that he had for Elijah? In that moment, he had food and water, right? Bread and, and water. Nourishment to his body. Well, the Bible tells us that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every, Old and New Testament, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. He knew what he needed. He gave him food and water. And he gave it to him twice. There was a meal for him. Now, I know that was a physical meal. But I will say this. There had to be something about it that was more than just normal. Because he says he went in the strength of that meat 40 days and 40 nights on the Mount Horeb. So, I don't want to make too much about it. But God knew what he needed. And he provided him with what he needed. And so, I just, just in, and for our purposes here tonight, God, there, God has prepared for us meals he has prepared for us certainly he gives us this day our daily bread 
and nobody in here is starving to death, okay? But God has pre- prepared spiritual meals for us as well. And I think those sometimes we miss those. That's what God wants us to feast upon, right? To, when, when to feast upon the Lord, to feast upon Jesus. Jesus said in John chapter 6, I am the bread of life. And he goes, says, he that, he that eats of my flesh and drinks of my blood. Now, he was speaking spiritually, but that's faith. How do I eat of Jesus? It's by faith I come to him. I commune with him. I believe in him. I, I fellowship with him. And he feeds me. He feeds me and satisfies my longing soul, right? He filleth the longing, uh, satisfies the longing soul and filleth the hungry soul with goodness, the soul. And so we need to come. And so I just want to learn this a little bit from Elijah, trying to get an example from it. What God gave him was bread and water. And Jesus is the bread of life. He says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man meet of this, eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give him is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Okay? Talking about him going to the cross and so forth. But there, there are times, you know, we're going to we, we rush, we, all of us. I know that one of the curses of the age is busyness. The curses of the age is it's not a blessing, it's a curse. Now, it's good that we're employed and we're active. God doesn't want us to be lazy and slothful. He wants us to be productive. But to, to remember to seek first his kingdom. And how, t- how often we get up and the alarm goes off and we're scrambling. I mean, it's like go. You know, the, the race started. The alarm's off. I got this much time to do this and then to be here and to be here and have the kids there or whatever. And then you end it at the end of the day. And I got, well, I'm not going to get as much sleep as I thought, but I need to go to get to sleep quick. And it starts all over. Where is the Lord in that other than, than just throwing up a few, bless me today, help me today, protect the kids at school? That we can do all that too. I, I you know, pray all the time, driving in the car. But there has to be some time to go and sit with the Lord. It's a curse of the age. It's a, it's a curse, and we've let it become that. Um, that you need to steal that time back. It says in Ephesians 5 about redeeming the time because the days are evil. You, we need to be wise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And what the will of the Lord is, is you have that time with Him. I'm not saying how long it should be. God doesn't say in His Word how long that time should be. But you need to have time with God every day. And it doesn't need the, the last thing. When, when If I've got time, I'll do it. There has to be some time with the Lord. That to me is seeking, that's a whole other sermon, but seeking first his kingdom, that's where we sit before the Lord. We sit, and it's quiet, and we hear from God, and we open up his word, and we read it, and we say, God, speak to me through this psalm today, and we read it, and we talk to the Lord, and we hear, and then we go off in our day, and even when we're going off in our day, we're going to the strength of that meat, because that, he knows we have to work, and he knows we have to feed our kids or whatever and do laundry. He knows all that stuff. Work on the car, all of it. He knows all of that. But if we will do that first and not miss those spiritual meals, we're going to find everything in life is like ordered. Steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Don't miss your spiritual meals with God, okay? He is waiting for you to come. You know, all of the Song of Solomon, and I don't understand that book. I don't claim to understand it perfectly. I mean, I've heard teaching after teaching on it, and I understand the principle of the whole thing. 
but the whole thought, if we were to sum it up, it would be spiritually, what does it mean to me? It means the Lord loves us, and he wants us to be, come away with me, my love. He wants to draw us away and to take that time with him and to be with him. Not halfway serving God and ha- halfway fixing a meal or something. Have some time. We can do that too, in addition. But there has to be some time where it's me and the Lord, where I sit with the Lord. I'm created in his image. I'm saved by his grace. I'm purchased by his blood. I belong to him. There has to be time in that day and every day for me to, to sit with the Lord, to feast upon the Lord. Amen. That's where God strengthens us. And in the strength of that meat, we go forward to what he's called us to. Amen. So a lot of times we, we neglect that. We wouldn't neglect our bodies from food unless there was some real reason for it. But we some, oftentimes we don't feed the spiritual man the way that we should. Amen. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. Who does that? They that wait upon the Lord. We know that's the scripture and we love it. And we want to be strengthened and refreshed. But it, it's telling us right here, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They're going to renew their strength. It's going to be renewed. I want to read a couple of scriptures here. <clears throat> See that you refuse him not that speaks. That's in Hebrews 12, 25. So the Lord's calling us away. He's calling us to be with himself. Don't refuse and, and, and if we've sinned and fallen from the Lord in some way, more than ever, we need to come back to the Lord. We need to sit before God. Hosea says, take with you words and turn to the Lord. Say unto him, take away all iniquity. Say to the Lord, of your, he doesn't have any iniquity. Take away my iniquity and receive us graciously. So will we render the calves of our lips. <clears throat> Before we finish this thought, a good, a good physical uh, illustration of this is manna, right? Manna. We were here and here Monday morning praying the men. Brother Arnold was the first one here and and, uh, you know we just just briefly mentioned manna, the fresh manna, you know, the fresh manna. What the Lord spoke to us or how he ministered to us or helped us or we prayed Monday morning. Well that that was something fresh for that day. And the ladies prayed yesterday. Every time we come, you say, well, I've done that before. I didn't, didn't do that much for me. I went to a prayer meeting. It didn't do that much to me. I read the Bible, and nothing really happened. It's, it's fresh manna every day. And we can't go skipping days and days and think it's going to be okay. We, we, the, the law of the manna, right, was, was that uh, they gathered it every morning, every man according to his eating. And the sun, when the sun was waxed hot, what happened to it? It melted. Somebody says, well, I'm going to wait 30 minutes more. I'm, I'm still sleepy. I don't feel like gathering my manna right now. I'm going to get it in an hour. It's a good TV show on. I'm going to wait a little bit longer. And they wait a little bit longer, and now it's melted. And it's not there, but it was. It was there, and it was fresh as can be. There's a law. There's a law of the manna. The manna was that it was fresh. When the, when the dew came during the night, it says when the dew came on the ground, the manna fell on the ground. When they woke up in the morning, it was fresh. And they could have enough for the day, and it wouldn't rot, and it wouldn't go bad or anything like that. But they had to gather for that day. You say, well, I don't feel like gathering manna every day. I'm going to gather it all on Monday, and it'll get me through Saturday or Sunday. And it wouldn't. 
Because as they gathered it for too many days, it would, by the next day, it says it was rotten and smelled bad and had worms in it. Well, that's supernatural too. That wouldn't happen that fast. But that's, that's how it is a lot of times with, with our prayer time or whatever. I'm going to get around to that. God wants us to go every day. I'm not telling you how long because I don't know how long. Like, should it be 30 minutes, an hour, 45 minutes, two hours, three hours? Uh, I just think we ought to go before the Lord, set some time to go with the Lord and ask him to refresh you because you're going to miss a little sleep or you're going to miss a little something else you could have been doing that you think is productive. That's the most productive thing you can be doing. Feasting on Christ who saved you and created you and has all your steps ordered for your life. That's the most important thing you can do. So I promise you, I'm not, it's not just me saying if I wouldn't hear, you pick up your Bibles and read it. That's what it tells you. Seek the Lord, right? Seek the Lord while he may be found. The law of the manna. You get it and eat it. And uh, it says, when the dew fell on the camp in the night, the manna fell upon it. Okay? That's when it came. And then even, even right before we go to bed at night, I know we're tired, but it, it has set our minds on the Lord before the last 15 minutes before we're going to sleep to have our minds upon the Lord. He gives peace, amen? He gives peace in our hearts, and we need it because it's troublesome times that we're living in. So I just thank the Lord for it. The manna is a good example of that. Jesus said, uh, your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness, and they're dead, okay? That was a physical bread that God gave from heaven. He says, I'm the bread of life, bread of heaven, of which a man eats, he'll never die. You come and feast upon the Lord. Amen. So I got one more thought I want us to, to touch on tonight as we move on. So we've been looking at the tender dealings of God and his love with this man. And so then comes, we're going to talk about the Lord speaking to him and dealing with him. Because up to now, it's just the angel told him to eat, right? And so back in 1 Kings 19, we, we read verse 7. Rise and eat the second time, for the journey is too great for thee. And verse 8, 1 Kings 19, 8. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat 40 days and 40 nights <clears throat> unto Mount Horeb, the Mount of God. And so he goes to this, this mountain, and, and he's running and it was interesting the Lord we never read the, where the Lord told him to go on this journey he just fled and yet God still was patient with him and provided for him and still met him and still commissioned him again and called him in other words he took off on his own and at probably out of the will of God fleeing and yet somehow another God brought him met with him right there and he finished his life in his course just like Paul finished his course right it's, it's, it's interesting to me that, that God can still take us from where we are and bring us where we need to be. He can take it. You, somebody might have messed up terribly. I think about Peter denying the Lord three times. He thought it was over. I'm going back to fishing. Not just on a fishing trip. I believe Peter was going back to fishing for a livelihood and going back to that. And you say, well, he's blown it. It's over. And yet God deal, dealt with him compassionately. You know, in mercy, patiently, he rebuked him, he called him, and he reinstated the call, and Peter ends up dying for the Lord. I don't think in the end, Peter missed anything he was supposed to do. It's just nobody but God could do that. 
we get way off course in sin and away from God, and God can still meet us right there. And somehow we look up and say, I'm right where I'm supposed to be. How did this happen? How did you get me back here? I don't know. It's the grace of God. He got me where I needed to be. We just yield to him and yield to him and turn to him with words, as, as we read, and come to the Lord. So uh, 40 days and nights. So think about that. So in the strength of that, those two meals, he goes 40 days and 40 nights to the Mount of God. And I don't know what he's thinking during all this time, but uh, God dealt with him and he dealt with him uh, mercifully. So he's in some dark cave. That's where he finds himself. He, he goes in some dark cave. And, and he came, verse 9, there into, unto a cave and lodged there. So what's he even doing? What's his plans? You know what I mean? What, what are his plans? I don't know what Elijah's plans were. But he went in the strength of that meat, uh, 40 days and 40 nights to the Mount of God. He's in a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him. And said unto him, what doest thou here, Elijah? So here is he going to start dealing with him. After all that, he's going to start dealing with him. God comes to us. We have to be listening. All right? You have to be listening. But I promise you, God's going to speak to us. It's very important. It sounds like a simple truth. But a dead God can't speak. Idle gods can't speak to you and help you and instruct you. Uh, a false God that people worship and will die for Allah or Muhammad or something. That God cannot speak to them. He's not real. They're demonic spirits and so forth. They can imitate and, and pretend. But God came and spoke to him. God came and spoke to him as at other times in his life. I forgot how many times it says in the Bible, in, just in Elijah's life, and the word of the Lord came to him, and the word of the Lord came to him, and the word of the Lord came to him. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah and told him to go, uh, go hide by the brook Cherith, and I'm going to send the ravens to feed you there. Then the word of the Lord came to him when the brook dried up. Not before, but when it dried up, he says, go, there's a widow woman in Zarephath I've commanded to, to sustain you. Then the word of the Lord came to him and said, go sh show yourself unto Ahab. The word of the Lord, there's nothing more valuable. God's speaking to your life and saying, I know I've heard from the Lord. Remember when the Lord called Dee and me, uh, we had only been married uh, a short time, and not even a year, and the Lord called us into ministry full time. Uh, people, we had to know we heard from the Lord ourselves. It wasn't like a committee meeting. I thank the Lord there were, there were believers around us that prayed for us and so forth, but it was, we had to know. We had to hear from God. They were called into the ministry. And we had even believers tell us, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. How are you going to provide for your family, Randy? Don't do it. And you have to know you've heard from the Lord, whatever it is in your life. Okay? You have to know it. And you have to walk in it. Whether other people know it or, or affirm it, praise God for mature believers that are in your life that can affirm it. And, and know, you know, I mean, God can confirm through other people, but you have to know. You have to know, amen? And so the word of the Lord came to him as at other times and spoke to him, and he said, what doest thou here, Elijah? Okay, does that, we're about to close, but does that remind you, it reminded me of something, let's put it that way. He asked him a question, 
first thing you ask him is a question. He's not upbraiding him necessarily. He's, it sounded like when, when the Lord came in the garden after Adam and Eve sinned, and he says, Adam, where are you? Well, everybody in this room knows God knew exactly where Adam was. God knew where he was and where he was hiding. But he wanted Adam to know where he was. He wanted to see the situation. He wanted Adam to take a step back and say, what have I done? What have I done? What have I done that resulted in this, that brought this about? Where am I now? Not just behind a bush, but where, where are you? Right? Adam, where are you? God knew where he was. He wanted Adam, Adam to see where he was. And he wanted to start this discussion and point out to the man, this is, this is a result of your sin. I want you to see that. It's not a result of anything else. Have you eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? That's what he asked Adam. Where are you? And so he comes to Elijah. He knew exactly where Elijah was. He came right to the cave where he was hiding or living. And he says, what doest thou here, Elijah? He said, never, we never read where God sent him on that journey. I think he ended up, you know, we can get into all the mysteries of God, a permissive will and a perfect will and all these things. All I know is that the Lord took him from there and kept him. The Lord took him from there and he finished his course and he ran his race and he wasn't done with him yet. Okay, so I just want to, before we get too much in, into this, I want to I close with this tonight, just that thought. And God comes to us. We have to, we have to have that time with the Lord. And we have to, as we've been hearing so much in our church and on Sunday nights at prayer, knowing the voice of our good shepherd. The Lord, Elijah wasn't confused who that was talking to him. He didn't say, get thee behind me, Satan. He knew that was Jehovah. Remember, all through his life, what does it say? The Lord God before whom I stand. Elijah stood in the presence of God as a life, as a lifestyle. He stood in the presence of God. He knew, what, he knew the Lord. He knew the voice of the Lord. And so God began to deal with him. Again, he deals with him. He can deal sternly with us, but it's always in love. Sternly with us, but it's always in love. And it's always, uh, it's always in it with a desire to restore us and further us and strengthen us and to bring us on. What are you doing here, Elijah? How did you get here without me bidding you to come here? Basically is what he's saying. Adam, what are you doing hiding behind a bush? Why would you be hiding behind a bush? Every afternoon I come on down in the cool of the day and we fellowship and we walk and talk together, Adam. What are you doing? Where are you, Adam? God wants us to see that. And sometimes he will say that to us. You know what I mean? You'll find yourself away from God in your thoughts. You'll find yourself way away from the Lord and, and maybe in your actions or your heart growing cold. And God can come to us and say, what are you doing here? You need to get back. You need to get back. You need to come on home, and we're going to find mercy, and we're going to find grace, and we're going to find compassion. But he will say that because he loves us. He doesn't just let us go. He'll never, I told those boys at the Parkview Bible, that God is never just going to turn around and, and let you go. If Not if you really belong to him. If you really belong to the Lord, however far you go, God is going to be there. He's going to be there, and he's going to say, come home.
turn around. What are you doing here? You know better than that. I share my testimony here. I'm, I'm saved, and I was running from God through end of high school and college. What, I'm sitting there with a, a beer in my hand at a, par, a fraternity party. What am I doing here? The thoughts came to me. What am I doing? What in the world am I doing? You know, and God was patient. He's merciful. And he brought me to a place enough. You know what I mean? It's enough. You need to decide. But he was patient. And he turned me. Thank God he did. But he, you're always going to find the Lord. Amen. You can't, you can't run from the Lord. You've heard it before. D, you can come. I don't want to get too much into the specific dealings uh, that God had with Elijah. That's like a whole nother thought. But uh, I do want us to stand and just, um, you know, we were singing these songs like what the Lord, what he's done for me. I cannot explain the love he has for me. And just think about the love of God. Come to the altars for a, a few moments and just meet with the Lord. Maybe you hadn't been, you've been skipping your spiritual meal. God's had it all prepared for you. He's had it all prepared and hot and ready and fresh. And we're not now, God, I got, I got too much on my plate. Well, he's the one that gave you your plate. You know what I mean? He's the one that gave you your life. Make the time to be with the Lord. Find the time. Make the time. Steal the time. And God's going to bless it. Amen. And or maybe you've strayed from God. He's saying, turn to me. Come to me. You're going to find mercy and grace and compassion. And the Lord's going to meet with us. But, Father, we just come before you. In Jesus' name, Lord. God, I want to thank you that when we turn to you, we find compassion. Yes, Lord, you rebuke us whom you love, you chasten. But we're always, always going to find the love of God. We're always going to find the tender mercy and compassion of God. We're always going to find a God who wants to restore us. And you'll do whatever it takes to restore us unto your, to you. And to restore us to where we need to be in Christ. Thank you for that, God. Thank you that we can read about men like Peter that denied the Lord and failed so horribly, and yet you called him to be your servant, God. We can read about Elijah, Lord, who fled in fear before a woman, and yet, Lord, you met him and you dealt with him and brought him back to yourself and used him. God, I thank you for all your goodness to us, Lord. But Lord, I do pray, Lord, it is a, it is a curse, Lord, of the age to be so busy that we neglect our spiritual food. God, we don't want to do that. We ask you to forgive us, and we look, and it almost looks hopeless. We say, where could there possibly be time in my regular day to do that? God, you will give us the time, Lord. You will order our steps. Somehow you will do it. We just have to trust you to do it. You will make a provision and a way for those you have redeemed by your blood to commune with you every day. Bless your people, God. Bless us and strengthen us to do that in Jesus' name. Thank you, God.